Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear from leading thinkers from our university and around the world. If you would like to hear more from our experts, why not attend Raising the Bar 2017, which will see some of our academics give 20 talks in 10 bars across Sydney, all on one night, Wednesday the 25th of October. To register for your free ticket, head to raisingthebarsydney.com.au. Enjoy the podcast. My name's Amanda Howard and I'm new in the social work discipline here at Sydney Uni and this is um, Professor Jill Manthorpe who is the Director of the Social Care Workforce Research <laughs> Unit at King's College in London and uh, he's going to um, have a conversation with us about consumer-directed care which is you know, highly relevant to all of us really here. So. Yeah. Well, you, you will know this quote which everybody uses about um, different words and the words that really get talked about a lot in England, in particular in England, is a word called personalisation, which if you work for a long while, which everybody here has, uh, you'll know as person-centred care, person-centred planning, you know, it's sort of like a confetti word, isn't it? But um, this is under what is called personalisation in England, and it's everything that both um, all political parties have been in, in favour of personalisation. How could you possibly not be in favour of personalisation? So it's scattered throughout anything. If you remember in the NHS in the 70s, it, the word community got uh, was a confetti word, anything. And you put community in front of community hospital, community treatment order, community whatever, and it suddenly had a warm glow around it. Um, so personalisation for about um, um, nearly 20 years has been the, the big P word in... Um, England and this is so this makes things very complicated because then people start to add different things about it and really I suppose our new way now is really different from the NHS taking on um, some personal health budgets because the NHS has always been very much a, um, a body which is doesn't deal in cash that, in many ways that's how the NHS started wasn't it doctors no longer would take money from patients because they were all under the NHS and people like district nurses didn't want to take money from people and the only poor souls who actually were dealt with money were, were social workers who had to go around uh, grabbing people's assets or anything like that but um, this is so this is a new world it continues to evolve a new world sometimes we use the term personal budget which means an allocation of a known amount in reality or not so it's just to say you're entitled to a service and actually we calculate it that this is about £100 a week or about £5 a week or about for some very high, um, highly, um, people with very high needs can be 25000 a week pounds. That's very rare, of course, but it does happen. Um, and that the personal budget then can be taken in two ways. Either um, it's a jam jar model, so I give it to an agency whereby um, they're, they set, they're told that the money to support so-and-so is in this jam jar. And the jam jar model is the one in which I think helps us get a head around it because that money's supposed to be spent on that person. And there's an agreement with the jam jar. Uh, really, you can't say, oh, well, so-and-so's having a bad time. We'll rob from so-and-so's jam jar to pay for their care. It's much more allocated to them. And that explains why an agency might be able to give a lot more hours to somebody needing them and much and fewer to other people and less of that sort of well we're all in it together in a small group home or something like that so that's roughly how it works there we have a term called direct payments and we give them a capital letter sometimes just to remind ourselves it's important and that's when allocation is made to a person's bank account of cash for care 
And so sometimes people think that all this world is cash for care, but it's not. It's just some people who agree that they will take the cash up for themselves or on their relative's behalf. And there are processes in part in which a proxy, like a relative, can take money for um, and look after it. That's a managed personal budget. There's a little bit of um, checking to see that you're not um, you know, a great train robber. Um, if you're going to manage your relative's money, you have to be checked to see you haven't got a criminal history and they talk about you being an approved person to take that on. But um, that works particularly well, we think, now for people with dementia, where people's um, spouses or adult children take on the budget, because dementia is one of those care things where um, you know things are okay sometimes and then they're all a bit tricky and then the relatives have gone here and there and so the flexibility doesn't half suit people there. Also for people looking after adult children with intellectual disabilities, um, they've found probably uh, that with the demise of things like day centres and um, they can usually have a much more individual budget if the parents are managing that budget on people's behalf, employing who they want, knowing that somebody's going to turn up um, no, and if they don't, they go, type of thing. So those are the, um, the, the sort of world that people are working in. It's not new now. This is, this is being, direct payments have been going for 25 years nearly. You know, we're talking of, um, not in great numbers, but that is, is not unusual. There have always people in, in, in the NHS, though, who say, I've never heard of this. Uh, you, can, you know, this doesn't work in our area. And you go, I'm afraid it does. <laughs> but um, in, in one way, things I've, I think we've learned a lot is that um, you, you really need to engage with people for whom, who don't deal with money. In social work, they, people do deal with money, don't they? It's the sort of bread and butter job. Whereas um, other professionals, um, they sort of get a glazed look and it doesn't there. Um, and there are, there are always marginal issues. Take, for example, incontinence pads, which is a great joy of mine to talk about. Is that a health need? Should the NHS be paying for your incontinence pads? But what if the NHS incontinence pads are a bit leaky? Should you spend your personal budget on them? By and large, you know, really, if, the, if it came down to it, your care money shouldn't be spent on NHS things. But who, is, who on earth in their right mind is going to go, go around, you know, checking the incontinence pads if a person's happy? These things have always happened, haven't they, about um, whether or not things are done. So this is the way things get worked through. And obviously, you might not spend your personal budget. You could spend your pension on your incontinence pads. But um, I think people think that um, there is this notion that people are, are quite thrifty shoppers. And if you think you've got some cash and the real pain in your neck in your life is that the incontinence pads are leaking everywhere, you're jolly well going to prioritise those. So some places use other terms like self-directed support. Is that coming over here? Yeah. What does that mean? It means that the place where you are just likes that term better. It doesn't mean that there's any sort of different rules or regulations, apart from Scotland, which is where they like that term too, and it's slightly different. Some places use the word individual budgets, because they like that term better. So never underestimate in England the ability of people living locally to say, we're all very genetically different in Essex, or in Epping, or in Evesham, or something. We are going to do things differently here, because um, they always do. Um, and then some, there have been some attempts to blend different funding from different government departments um, into individual budgets. Those have been quite hard to do, but I suppose ambitions are there. So, for example, there's employment support money, and then you get your money to help you with your um, activities of daily living. Can those be combined? With great difficulty. And what we find, of course, is that people's blended funding usually happens at the individual level or the carer coordinates it all or something like that. 
but um, these are big government departments and getting them to talk to each other is often very difficult. In England, there's very few restrictions on what you can spend your money on. And this is, um, this is what people from other places quite like to hear, because I think in here this is going to be different, isn't it? About, um, I mean, if um, in England um, there have been, um, we, people often feared that the newspapers were going to go, oh, this is terrible, all this money is being spent on dreadful things. I think the only example that has been in the papers in the last about five years was the case of the pedalo. Do you know what a pedalo is? Mm -hmm. Sort of little boat. You wouldn't do it in Australian surf, would you? You'd be killed immediately. But it's a little boat that you would take on a lake, apparently, or a pedal, a pedal boat or something. And one person put an individual budget on an hour's pedalo. You know, the world was going to fall apart. But of course it didn't. Everybody went, you know, so the problem is, um, you know, it's clearly much cheaper than spending an hour at um, some care facility or something. And then when the story came out, they find it was from the health budget anyway. So all the social workers went, phew, <laughs> not on our watch. But there have been stories around, you know, about, oh, should money be spent on guitar lessons? Um, which, and, and I've been on projects where I, we do know that somebody got, some, got six weeks of guitar lessons um, is that a need or whatever? The social worker argued that this was going to keep him off the streets, that where he could have gone to would have cost far more if he'd gone to a facility, and actually at the end he'd joined in a guitar club and life was much better. Yeah, yes, yes, so, and, and, hmm? Yes, when he becomes a busker, he'll be a better busker, yes, so, and, um, in, and of course, often the early stories, when there's a li little bit more money in the system, the early stories are often what we call low-hanging fruit, aren't they? That they're um, often the good news stories, and people are desperate for some sort of good, good examples to give. So guitar stories. Um, um, it's the same with any sort of allocation of funds. You always want to find something visible that engages with people. So some people were getting some um, equipment, like a washing machine. You know, should the state give people washing machines? Fantastic if it saves the carer from um, you know, endless backache and um, you know, things work out, why not? So few restrictions, both in terms of what you can spend it on, although it does have to be signed off by the local authority, um, and that's the thing. So if you want to say, I would like to employ my cousin, that's okay. So that's probably the big change in the UK, that people can employ people who they like, really. Um, and if you, um, if you are... The, the proportional, the risk assessment is proportional. So if you think, oh, I know your cousin, you know, um, I've seen them in the newspapers, um, um, we're not entirely happy with that, you might put in a little bit more monitoring. But if you know that this family has looked after so-and-so for the last 25 years, and, you know, it's been terribly good, why not employ the cousin or the neighbour or whatever? And, and that's how it works um, there. So kit um, or... Um, people um, and sometimes short periods of breaks. Another example of things that have happened has been less use of English respite care homes, homes that are run for disabled people to move into um, there. But they're not like a hotel that we would go to necessarily. So people have not thought, I'll put my personal budget into a nice local government respite care service. They go to what we call centre parks. Do you have centre parks? Sort of like... Hmm? like a holiday park holiday park does your family want to go to a um, uh, in an institutional respite care facility no but do they want to go to a holiday park me please <laughs> yes so, 
SeaWorld. Yes. Yes, um, something like that, queuing up to go. And all these places now are much more disabled friendly than um, they've ever been. You know, you've got a wet room is just what what you have in a you know in a hotel or whatever, isn't it? You're not talking the aids and adaptations that you would used to have to make. So those sort of things have done quite well, and people are voting with their feet really and saying we're not very keen on institutional-looking respite care homes with a lot of tick boxes about rules and regulations and things. Um, we'll go to home. We'll go to a hotel and people will want to go with us. So that's, um, again, I think has liberated people's mindset. So you don't say, oh, there's only a place in April in, um, you know, in this home. If people want to go when they want to go, they go. Um, so so um, quite a lot of local markets. So one of the things we can say is, has all this made a difference? And, um, you know, there are, in fact, there are people who would sign up to all of those. Some people will say it's not made much change. Actually, the life of the disabled person at home, um, they still have relationships with the person who cares for them. Um, probably you could always buy a bit of kit from somewhere within the welfare state. Um, you know, it's not really made much change. And the fact that your mum knows that um, the care that she's get is worth 200 pounds, you know, she will, according to whether your mum thinks that's a fortune or not enough, will just be how it is. And some, for a lot of older people in particular, they don't employ people directly. They go back through an agency because the agencies turn up if it's raining um, and you haven't got all the fiddle-faddle around of payrolls and things like that. So probably for some people, there's not been much change. Um, just a slight bit that um, you have probably received a letter telling you what your care package costs or what you're being allocated. And that is slightly different from people who didn't really know whether or not what an hour was or two hours or, or whatever that, that was. Some people will say there's been a lot of change. So they will take examples of saying, I've now got a trusted group of people looking after my partner with MS who really needs now continuity of care, continuity of relationships, and I can guarantee that. So in Britain, because we have very high turnover of care, um, in many agencies, it's 50% a year, um, you know, con lack of continuity of care. may be nice if you see a different face, but actually if you're wanting somebody to change your uh, peg feeding or something, you want somebody who knows what they're doing, don't you? And you also want to get rid of people who can't, can't do it properly, so um, those things. So for some people, there has been a lot of change, um, and, and that's been, I think, positive. The changes, some people would say, they've been for the worse. So actually, I might have liked going to this institutional respite care centre because they could deal with me well. And, and, and in fact, I am a bit smelly and not everybody in a hotel likes me type of thing. Uh, that was okay for me. Um, the big collapse we've seen also is daycare centres, which have gone down in numbers a lot. They were always getting a little bit hard to fill. And whether or not we had this system or not, you might have said that quite a lot of day centres had seen, had come to the end of their natural life. Uh, they were very cheap, cheap care, and actually not everybody wanted to go and sit in a day centre when there were other opportunities. Um, in a, in, I suppose in, the, in we're talking, you know, quite a few decades ago where actually nowhere was disability accessible. You know, the, the loos weren't there, there were steps up and steps down and whatever, but now if you can go to the local shopping mall and it is very disabled friendly, what's the day centre offering you, particularly as the charges go up? So some people then would say the, charge, the changes have been good overall. Um, and I think everybody you'll get will say different. Or, as most my favourite one, um, Zone Lie probably didn't say uh, in, when asked 
what was the difference of the French Revolution, it's probably too early to tell. But um, we know really that when you're turning a super tank around, it does take a lot of time, doesn't it? And it is, I'm a 17 year person myself. I always think things take 17 years before you can actually see the major change and everything else is, is early days. But I think it's getting now, we can probably say that for some people, in some circumstances, it's worked really well and it's worked quite well. And for some people, it's made not a lot of difference. So, the background is in the UK, it's particularly disability movement, the group of people who came up saying we do not want to go to institutions. A lot of the institutions they complained about were in the not-for-profit centre sector, as you'll know, that was a big wake-up call for voluntary groups and charitable groups who thought they were doing good to the disabled, um, by Leonard Cheshire in particular as one there, and they thought they were doing brilliantly and they suddenly realised all these young dis disabled people you know, hated it and they thought it was just ghastly. Um, so it's grown out of that, that idea that you can live at home um, with the care that you want and the choices you want to make. Um, we, when they came in, we weren't facing our financial austerity, if we can remember how far back that was. The banks hadn't crashed, the world hadn't gone to Helena Hindcart. Um, so, but behind that, there was quite an idea that people were better at buying their own things for themselves or their mum than, um, than if they were just sort of there to be taken. And we knew that because things like day centres were open and had their doors open, but they were probably running at 40% occupancy. And that makes them really quite expensive. And if you actually calculate the cost for somebody in a day centre where there's that amount of vacancy, you are paying a shed load of money for that, that individual place. Um, we also thought there might be better outcomes, that um, a lot of evidence was coming that patient and user <coughs> experience um, pr produces better outcomes to people. People who feel happier, safer, whatever, uh, they do better, into their disabilities are less worse, they have less um, needs to go to hospital, all those, their mental health keeps better. So we think that outcomes are better with choice and control. Um, and also that there was less waste, and the waste bit is around unfilled places, um, people, not, um, people keeping things open that probably shouldn't have been done. Then in what happens with this is there probably have been winners and losers. And those, it was of course terribly difficult to sell a policy saying, you know, some people will do well and some people won't. The Scots went around saying, um, oh, everybody will do better. You know, there were going to be no losers. And everybody thought, that, that can't possibly be true. Because we knew uh, from a lot of research that if you were an older person compared to a younger person, you got about uh, half the care package. Now, why was that? Older people don't need to go out. They've had their life, you know, all they do is moan, sit around moaning. You know, why is it that you could get quite a good package for a young disabled person, but if that person with that level of need was in their 60s and 70s, they got half as amount. And that really was probably untenable, um, and the writing was on the wall. So the people who've lost um, in terms of the, the really big funding have been some younger disabled people and particularly with intellectual impairment, whereby they spent, um, the, I've heard a civil servant said, they spent an awful lot of time horse riding. This is what they did every week. And lots of times every week, they went horse riding all the time. Um, you know, and um, actually, what were they getting? Um, it was a very expensive service, and perhaps the people who were getting more from the horse riding people than the, the user. So there were questions began to be asked, and indeed stones were lifted. I went to a council where they said, um, we found three people in a group home. We were paying 25,000 pounds, which is about dollars a year for all, for each of them. And we didn't know what they were getting. 
or they looked as though they were in an ordinary home. It was a lot of a lot of money then. Um, so they're winners and losers then, and that, and I suppose it's really being fairer about who's going to probably be a winner. And older people, I think, have generally benefited, uh, particularly people with dementia um, who couldn't really argue their case, and some of the younger people haven't. Marketing of services has been one thing that's having to done. If you're in the voluntary sector or not-for-profit sector, you know sometimes you haven't got the faintest idea what things cost, um, but they've had to um, work out what it costs to run various things. Some things in the voluntary sector we, we run for nothing, don't we? I've been in voluntary sector runs where we've run a jigsaw library. Hugely popular. Cost? What did it cost? Probably not very much. Um, but we ran. We were able to fund things like that by selling insurance. Um, but we didn't know where the money went. And in England, you probably know that they're obsessed with charity shops. Yes, this is what, do you call them charity shops here? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. This is like the biggest income, income of um, all voluntary sector groups in England. Um, and you do that to keep your services. So our local hospice has 33 charity shops, and that's how it runs its daycare, its places, with some state funding as well. So, um, but being very clear now, what a day place in a hospice costs is a lot. You can't, you're not running it with volunteers who, you know, can serve a cup of tea. These are people who are on life, life support. Um, you know, it's a, but that's what you do. You know what it costs to run a day, to give somebody a day at a hospice or even a night or so on. Um, yeah. What we've also come across is, of course, of case law developing. And really, I suppose, now we've come to case law and some very tricky case law about, um, well, this is what you used to have. The local authority thinks that now maybe there's a little bit less is needed and some very sort of uh, tense moments in there. And not all the time social workers being on the side of the client, but actually saying, you know we were paying for 24-7 care. We actually think that properly you can manage a couple of hours with nobody there. Oh, no, the world will end. Oh, no. Well, we think that might not be the case. So um, quite an interesting thing for social work education about not necessarily saying to people, you know, you, you, your case A could end up in the High Court, <laughs> all over the newspapers, um, but also, you know, think, thinking it through. You're not always going to be defending um, more and more and more for some people when that, when that isn't necessarily in their best interests. Um, everything's being affected by public sector cuts in the UK. You've probably seen that councils only empty the bins every fortnight, um, well, only put half the amount of light bulbs in streets. <laughs> They're really on quite a rocky road at the moment. Um, they've cut services to people. So there probably were people who um, were getting, say, an hour's help in the home who are not getting it. That's nothing really to do with personal budgets, though. That's, that's austerity. And, of course, all the people in valuations have said, when you're doing a pilot, pilots always succeed, don't they? Have you ever met an unsuccessful pilot uh, in this area? It doesn't happen. Every, they're always going to succeed. They've got loads of money. Everybody's really keen on them. Um, they all work. So that's how it worked with us. We worked um, quite a lot in the early evaluation of the individual budget programme to say, um, you know, what really, how do you measure something is cost-effective? And in England, we're very keen that effectiveness has to be cost-effective Otherwise, it's not going to have traction or anything like that. Nobody, it will work. So we just did that bit about, is it effective? Um, is it um, reasonably cost? Is it terribly expensive but um, effective? Trying to put things in those boxes, which is a very sort of easy way of doing things. And you want, clearly, where do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? Cheaper and more effective. That would be good, wouldn't it? Green. Everybody would want green. You would probably tolerate um, a, a bit of the top yellow. Um, 
bottom yellow, you definitely don't want red. And I suppose in a way we thought that we were in the red um, there, that we were offering things that weren't taken up, were always being reported to be low quality, sometimes abusive or, or whatever, and it, that was where we thought we were. So did it make any difference? We did some early work, and this is what happened with older people. Uh, bless their cotton socks. Some of them thought it was a bit worse, and it was you know, so. So it wasn't. It hasn't been terribly, terribly good in the early days for older people, possibly because the amount of money they get, um, a lot of older people, is so small that it doesn't make really much difference. Um, also, things are getting a bit tight at that time. But for some of them, um, it, it worked. It worked okay. So it's really difficult to generalise by client group, um, and. Possibly um, you would say that if you, you could do the same, we did the same for learning disabilities, physical disability, mental health, um, and all those. Um, but these are very early days. But it's just not to show you that that is what it is at the moment, but just a way of saying, uh, for some people, it didn't make a lot of difference, did it? Being in the middle means not a lot of difference setting all these schemes up. So, lots of great expectations, fueled by people who went around saying to mass audiences, and I've heard them there saying to groups like 800 active pe pensioners, you are going to have choice and control. And they all queued up saying, where's our money? <laughs> and then were sadly disappointed to say, but you're far too fit to get any of this. You know, They'd forgotten to tell them that there was A, an eligibility threshold, which meant if they were sitting in Lewisham Town Hall, they jolly well weren't um, going to go to get anything like it, <laughs> like that. They were far too well. Um, and, and, just to, and also the... Um, that um, they, both the eligibility criteria is high in the UK and so too uh, there is a high means test as well. So, of course, the people, average person isn't going to get very much in that respect. So, um, lots of promises. People tried to explain the system and I think I, can, I get a little bit of the, hear that come, happening here. People telling everybody, oh, consumer-directed care, it'll all be all right. And we think, well, surely there's a limit or isn't anybody talking about that? Um, because it, it is means testing eligibility. So you've got that sort of reaction about it not being so good. Um, means testing is high in the UK, um, although it doesn't necessarily cover everything, particularly if you're living at home. Um, there were some doubts about people who thought, oh, well, this is all a government con. Um, and there were a lot of evangelists who really thought that this was going to be um, manna from heaven. It was going to make a lot of difference. And they've, they've all probably moderated their positions. So here we are. This is an example of a daycare centre. Um, these still exist. We're talking going down an English country road. They will come to a village. There'll be a day centre attached to the local church, for example. Um, you used to, and what is, this is the other thing that has been replaced, not necessarily by personal budgets. You used to get a, a grant from the council, which would be a small grant, but it would probably pay your heating and lighting and a bit of that. Um, but the council has said, we're not doing any of that. You know, we, we don't know what we're getting. Um, you know, they can run their own funds or whatever. And they've got a strategy. Everybody has to have a strategy, which has said community-based activities, normalisation, you know, people, people want to have... Um, they can go to the pub or they can go to the whatever. Um, and they haven't got any money anyway because they can hardly empty the bins. So in this day centre, the attenders paid for their lunch and their activities. Some of them were you know, very, very welcome to them. But like most things, those people who were going to day centres ended up being frailer and fewer of them. 
because everybody else was off on a cruise or um, is working or is picking their grandchildren up from school or something like this. And this is how, this is not a nation of 60 year olds sitting there saying, oh, we'll wait in the day center for bingo. They're all um, you know, running the country or um, doing, you know, certainly picking up grandchildren now is a major older people's activity. Um, but the ones who weren't were getting frailer and older and um, difficult. And so prices went up. People didn't said, oh, I, I, I didn't mind paying when it was three pounds, but I'm not paying 10, you know, which still doesn't cover anything. Um, so people get fewer and fewer. And in the end, you can see that that day center probably has got the writing on the wall, hasn't it? It may exist in another form. It may set up a card group or an older people's education center or something like that, but probably the day center is gone. Is that related to personal budgets? Not, not probably. It, it may be part of a causal link, but it certainly would be unfair to say that that day centre died as a result of um, personal budgets. A lot of other things were going on. So here's another example, um, just using um, um, the example of um, families, particularly those with intellectual impairment, who I think really, those people who want to have been able to keep family members at home. They've got equipment of a type and a and um, finessed, you know, round the individual that they've never had before. And we do have a similar system working for things like wheelchairs and cars and everything like that. So they've probably got, got that platform there, the scaffolding around it. They've been able to, instead of having 40 people a year come through, not knowing um, which end is which on the wheelchair, they've now got a trusted team of people who work as a team and probably have much better handovers better reliability if they're sick or whatever. Um, the family may or may not do the payroll and all the admin, but they could also they also can pass that to a, a local service, which is what a lot of people do, is doing payrolls and you know, not everything you want to do, some people do. Um, and they get they're probably getting mixed because we aren't talking now um, of that um, that small but growing number of very disabled people who used to die before they got um, into adulthood. Um, you know, that maybe would die at 17 or something like that. Huge, but now are living much longer um, and the families are supporting them there. So what do they get? They get some continuity of care in terms, in in, um, uh, with, with some responsibility. And that's the, the question, isn't it? But as many of them said, we had a lot of responsibility when people didn't turn up. And we've spent all our life on the phone to the agency saying, you sent us an absolute idiot, you know, please, please don't let them come again or something like that. Um, because for a lot of these people, they're doing quite, medi not medical tasks, but they are doing bodily tasks, aren't they now? I don't know what you would be allowed to do here if you weren't a trained nurse, but um, certainly people in this position would be giving, um, would, would have had some training and they could give an injection. Um, they could certainly do enemas now. Um, they can probably... Um, uh, do some catheter work. Is that the same here? <coughs> you know, it used, but it used to be the case that you know you weren't allowed to do anything unless you were a district nurse or something. So that's changed a lot. Um, they work as a team. The family are, are possibly less anxious, and I think that that then does mean that the outcomes for the person are probably better and for the family. Um, and they can, and I said they can get kit as well as care. So the washing machine goes up. Um, why not? Would you, as a social worker, want to do, you know, be around there every week checking their receipts? You are su we're supposed to do checks every year on this sort of situation, but it's very much proportionate, and that being the 
professional decision of saying, you know, you know the families who you really ought to be going in a little bit more than once a year, and you know the people who you really are okay with um, and just keep them keep happy. Um, particularly people who've got very flexible um, problems that go up and down. So we call something Marmite. I know you don't call it that. <laughs> now, do people have the same reaction to Vegemite as they do to Marmite? Yes, yeah. so this is it. This is what it, this is called. It's called a Marmite. You probably hate it, love it or hate it. Lots of issues about people's rights, rights for non, you know, more community living, those sort of things. Other people saying it's risky. Some people saying it is always risky, if so. Um, but interestingly enough, both our political parties think this is a very good idea. And they've clearly had a lot of earwagging from constituents going on about how, how big uh, how the problems with services. <coughs> so what would we have done differently? Um, well, for politicians, you've always got to make a trade-off, haven't you? You can keep putting more money into social care and probably it always appeared like a bottomless <coughs> pit um, there. They've changed this, this approach, um, which is there in relation to other answers other bits of the public sector. Do you want some water? Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, you can, so, example, there's a lot more um, ability of people to choose the schools that their kids go to in England than there have been. We have um, NHS choices, which means that if I am um, on the waiting list for an operation, I can say, oh, look, I see that the hospital um, over the river um, has got much more room <coughs> and capacity. Can I go there? Those sort of things. In of, and those are sort of all parts of public life now. Um, is that like it is here? Yes. So quite a lot of that bit about you, you know, you, you and you, you could, you are your own shopper if you choose a cheap airline or a train or all those sort of things. That's it's much more consumer model. So it was probably inevitable <coughs> that social care just couldn't keep that sort of. This is the way you go, and this is where you you do and this is when we have meals in the care home and all those sort of things changed a lot. Um, some people clearly don't like change um, and there have been issues about it being seen as greater casualisation um, there. Other people have said I'd much prefer my job working for that nice family <coughs> than I did running around apologising for people who didn't turn up all the time and been run ragged in that. Um, and so it is, it is, there is an element of consumerism there which um, depends on the way we look at for researchers which some people in this room are um, what what should we have done I think we missed the trick in doing longitudinal work we should have grabbed not not done so many studies there's lots of studies of implementation but we should have whole, got hold of people and put a little chip in them or something like that <laughs> and followed them through because everything's always going to be good on day one isn't it but um, you know five years down the line when your capable spouse who used to run all this is not feeling so well and things like that you know what's happened and maybe you know things have happened so it, you you just need to we need we should have better pictures so that's what i would say do in australia even shortitudinal ones which have you know you can't do longitudinal studies on 99 year olds with dementia so possibly they're not going to be around you, but you know how did it go for the last weeks and lives of weeks of their life and this maybe this model does work very well at end of life which of course you don't always know is when is happening because you can bring resources in quickly. You can tell the workers, you know, please can you do another, some more shifts? We don't think there's long. Um, you can buy the ripple bed or the mattress, you know, without waiting down some awful queue or something. And you can, you know, you can get the sort of thing that you want 
rather than one size fits all type of thing. So that's been good. Um, case studies. We, we didn't really do very good case studies, believe it or not, which is easy, easy peasy to do, aren't they, case studies? Some very detailed case studies which weren't full of people saying, oh, it's lovely and everything's lovely and everybody's lovely, but very detailed studies that would have perhaps teased things out and those well, didn't always exist. We needed to do more sums, more facts and figures. We needed to know, as I was talking about with Amanda, about you know, what happens if you're depressed. Do you like being a consumer? When you're depressed, you don't even like going shopping sometimes. You know, what does this all mean for you? Or what do we do for people who've got um, quite a lot of psychotic episodes? So they're really, when they get money, they blow it or um, they you know, shout at the workers or um, you know, do all sorts of terrible things like that. How do you manage those sort of things? And can you pull it back quick enough in the system so you don't need the person who's just sacked everybody wandering around um, with, with nothing happening? Um, we need to acknowledge care users are often ill and, you know, that the, they do spend, people who are, the eligibility criteria is so high that people are often going into hospital and maybe making arrangements for what happens when you suddenly go into hospital, who, who pays for the person who thought they had a job tomorrow and things like that, yeah. Um, but those are not beyond the wit uh, of people, but just to get those there. We could have done more on time use diaries and financial diaries. Do people supplement this with their own pensions and their own other incomes? Or do they add to the family income to keep the family happy? So, for example, we know for a lot of people with um, quite severe disabilities, because it's linked to poverty, that their benefits form a lot of their family's income, don't they? There's one, one income that's quite, quite safe. How did people manage now? Um, and did, Were they sort of going food or care or whatever? Um, we don't know that. Um, and we, we could think of lots of new methods and we probably should have been a bit more rigorous than what we did. So the practice. Um, what do we think could have happened? We think that particularly social workers um, had quite a good, you know, spent a lot of time talking about it, and that made them um, communicate what was happening to people quite well. Because this is quite complicated. If you always got the bus to the day centre, you know, explaining to people this, that, and the other, you probably do, giving people a leaflet is a nonsense. You need to have... Um, examples, you need to say people like you, you need to say let's let's pretend it with money, you know, pretend money or something like that, because um, people aren't generally used to that sort of idea. Um, they probably needed to have done a lot more work with other professionals, in, particularly in health services, to say this is going on, believe it or not, <laughs> before, they, before they went around the doctors prescribing things that they couldn't, could no longer do. Um, we think that people um, should be clear of the sources for help. Our big voluntary organisations are probably the experts in this. Alzheimer's Society, MenCap, all those sort of things. They, they have been good. So, you know, you, you can't know everything. I'm just doing some work on something called CJD. You know what that is? Mad cow disease, nasty thing. You can't be an expert on CJD because you will only hopefully ever see one case, if at all, in your life. So you can't be an excellent at anything. What you need to do is find and know the person who does. And unfortunately, with the internet, we're terribly good at that. Um, we needed to stop people going, well, go to so-and-so, go to so-and-so, go to so-and-so, and then they'd end up back asking you, um, which probably is what happens in guardianship and things like that. People ask people um, loads of things, and they get round. Um, how do you record all this? Um, you know, we don't do the receipt checking now, um, but we like to know what people have have spent their money on particularly the big things. 
but the, you know your office cannot cope with two carrier bags of receipts and um, brought in by every person so there has to be some things there have been some talk of people having vouchers and smart cards um, but um, that's not terribly common but it could come through um, we've talked about proportionate monitoring um, people telling people about what's not working well um, you know the the calculation of um, this is not enough for people in the end of life or anything like that it's not not enough for example um, making the most of it and of course realizing that it's not compulsory you don't have to do this if somebody says I don't want to have the cash I'd like to have a nice service delivered by that nice agency then that, that's probably what happens what they can't do is have that day center open for them and that's been a big thing but they probably could never do that anyway so what I'm going to do is thank you very much for listening as I've galloped through, um, and, and, um, but we can happily have a discussion if that would be helpful and or people have got to shoot off and quite understand. stuff isn't it yeah it's, mm. it's kind of more than eligibility it's almost it's, it's about what can be bought yeah yeah you know, mm. like, so um Horse that sounds like yeah that, that's <laughs> hasn't been such a thing no, that you know, no, um, no. You know that there, there's much more well actually that. you cannot allow to buy illicit drugs strangely enough no. or supposedly alcohol but who's going to check um or um prostitution or something like that you know so but that's about it no nobody could think of anything bad enough that you could ban people from buying yeah which yeah. is an interesting thing because it seems like yeah. so far in yeah. australia it's more people might spend it on yeah there's there's, there's yeah. that there's that's freedom of the yeah. I, yeah. I think it's yeah. more because it's sort of the support plan there's mm. more you can purchase things if you don't see the cash you yeah. can basically yeah. have something but only particular things yeah. in the plan yeah so this probably is the influence of disabled people who said, you know, we don't like this sort of, oh, you can only have something, you can have everything if it's white, or you can have everything if it's that, that, that sort of tumble dryer or whatever. Partly because their needs are so individualised that if you said to somebody, you have to have this washing machine, they'd all go, oh, well, you know, that doesn't cope with um, my washing, my height, my, my, has to open this way, that way, I want these buttons. So that was just seen as a no, no, no hope. Mm. difference with our system too with the ABIS it's an insurance scheme yeah. Yeah. Mm. and so it's really about being given what's reasonable and necessary yeah. to actually to improve your life but you're not going to actually need the ABIS which I think is mm. a sort of quite yeah. an unreasonable <laughs> I think yeah. it's a really sort of um, <coughs> in terms of people having ongoing needs yeah. and also offering it to people who have been quite deprived of services for mm. so long this thought that people well you've had it now for this long so you can now not have it so yeah, a clear example is with children with early intervention yeah. um, where all these young kids came into the system which is sort of like blowing out the budget mm -hmm. and now they're saying well actually we're hoping that by five they wouldn't need it and you say yeah, what parent is going to say that they've got a child who's sick uh, well, okay, it's all good, you know, it's yeah. all good now <laughs> yes. you know, of course people are going to want more yeah. you know? yeah. uh, so it's quite yeah. interesting and of course that is a, a tension isn't it and I think that example of a case study I talked to you about where somebody was funded 24-7 you know you had round-the-clock people in that house possibly sometimes two 
and the, they have now said, well, actually, between 10 and 12, we don't think we need people. You know? And so I think there, there will be, um, but all of these have to be micro dealt with. Not You can't say everybody will have their hours. Yeah. You have to, yes, and you have, and you have to have somebody who's really prepared to go to the line and, and say, you know, I, in, I'll see you in court then because really we think you you are too dependent on people and it's not good for you. You know, you you know nobody's or normal life is surrounded by people um, in that way. Um, let's just to see how it goes. If it all goes pear shape, then okay, things will go in. But we've seen you on your computer and there and there downstairs. You know, tell us that. Tell us why we're paying that. So very, um, very. I suppose a quite a different um, argument from normal social work, isn't it? Where people are always eight people need more. Mm -hmm. The other issue, um, the other issue around it, that is too that when you're buying an individual care, so you say you're buying in an hour of care to have someone come and give you your medication mm -hmm. at night time, but everybody in that area is getting, or people in that area like you are getting mm -hmm. someone going in. Actually, it only takes five minutes to go in and do that job, but because it, you have to pay by the hour, yeah. the expense of that. Ah, but that's your system of paying. We didn't have to pay by the hour. Yeah, so we so, have this system. So, yeah. so it does become. Yeah. So the thing of being able to use cluster, yeah. they have a, one worker around a cluster, but that takes it away from the yeah. individual yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah. And that may change because clearly, if, if you live halfway up the mountain, you do need an hour for that person to go up there and, and whatever. But um, I think, in, and it may be an hour provides you with a social contact or whatever, isn't it? But um, medication calls, you know, can, uh, are those are those of the future? Possibly not. Yeah. You know, when we're talking about um, real things, people will be buying robots to do more stuff. Mm -hmm. Twenty, no, twenty years time. No, it's, it is an individual. It is an individual thing. So it isn't a sort of you've got one arm, one leg, that that bit. And so, yes, which is how the how benefits did start off in in England. That was sort of you know the first World War thing, one arm, one leg. Yeah. yeah. So here it is much more a negotiation about what you what um, in terms of eligibility, um, like a, a hierarchy of needs really, um, being quite at the top of it. What what can we do to meet those needs? So safety, um, activities of daily living, can you feed yourself, can you dress, can you go to the toilet, those sort of things. So very hard decisions are made. For example, um, a person will not be funded to have somebody go in and, and sleep with them so that they can take them to the loo. Um, that person is said, well, this is, these are pads. You know. So you, hard decisions on that way, leaving people say, but I don't want to wear pads. Actually, we're not spending. Yeah, very attached. But and and if you did want this, we can we can, you know, for um, eight hundred pounds a week, you can move to a fairly okay care home. Didn't but we can't say, spend that. Didn't you say someone to sleep with you was one of the things you couldn't spend? The <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would have to change your pads. <laughs> 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 Well, so most of the, 
most of the evidence is that the people individually employed are getting a lot more than they would do if they were stacking shelves or working in a care home, so they are getting, um, so we have a minimum wage, living wage, and they're probably getting um, quite a lot more than that because you want to keep them. Um, yes. So, so that wage pressure is. Uh, the, yes, they are casual workers in the sense that if I drop dead, you know, you won't be kept on. You have to find another employer. We know that quite a few people manage to have two or three clients to keep that going um, because you know they are looking after quite poorly people, and also they like a change of routine. It must be you know they're not not necessarily nannies, and, um, but some people do have living care. Um, so what the Probably the difference that has been made has been um, in, in some of the more peripheral things like a day centre that's closed is not going to be, be around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, agencies st uh, the agencies haven't put their money down. Indeed, they've tried to retain people who people like um, and, and have been more flexible for people saying, my mum only wants a female home care worker. Which is, you know, is that right? Is that wrong? Yeah. But actually, that's what mum wants. Agency, so and so, will you provide my mum? Will you guarantee that my mum will only get a female care worker? And they've had to say yes. Um, so that's what mum wants. She doesn't want to be asked by, by, by a man, or she could have wanted a man. Uh, but, um, and that we know that you know, when push comes to shove and it's snowing, it, it could be a man or not a man, and you, you make those decisions. But by and large, agencies too have been wanting to hold on to better workers because then they'll keep the business. If they employ people who don't turn up, they've lost, that you've gone to another agency. You haven't said, oh, that's all right, then try another person. You've said, you're, you're rubbish. <laughs> I'll go to your agency and <laughs> let, me, let me buy you. So possibly um, the terms and conditions are slightly there and they've yeah. managed a more customer focus because yes. they're working and, and for you. And they get a good reputation, yeah. you know, because a lot of these agencies, I went to um, a London borough of Harrow at the moment, don't know if you know that, North London, they've got 50 care agencies working in there. Some of them are going to fail. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of business around and people have said, you know, we're there, so if you want to have Hindu-speaking care workers or you want to have you know, people who live, you know, the care workers who live near you in case there's transport problems, uh, you can shop around. There'll be some agencies that will specialise say we specialise in dementia. Mm -hmm. um, some agencies will say we specialise in people with um, complex healthcare needs. Um, you know, um, we, we're, you know, Motor Neurone, our staff have all done this. So they'll be marketing themselves. They may charge a little bit more um, because but, you know, if you are employing somebody, a pan, the extra pound doesn't make the difference if they're good compared to if they're rubbish, does it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. that is looked at reasonably in the support plan that you sign off to the local authority. Because if you say, oh, I'm going to float your cousin and paying them £50 an hour, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of it, people say, oh, well, this takes some, you know, what do professionals got to do? Professionals have got a lot of discretion, really, to sort of, you know, smell the, smell the cooking, really, and think, oh, I, I wonder who's benefiting from this. And uh, maybe we'll do a little bit more checking here. Or, I'm, you know, I'm so happy about this. I'll, you know, 
that's fine. And, and you know, it, I think it's brought back a lot of professional, um, you know, um, skills, really, about knowing who to do, knowing when, you know, how you, whether you should step in, uh, whether, whether people have tried and tried and tried this and it still isn't working, so maybe long-term care is the thing. You know, they've tried their best, they've had, bud you know, the budget's been there and whatever, and saying to the family, you know, you have no guilt whatsoever. Of course, you can say that to families, but, um, you know, there's no guilt. You have tried your best, um, you know, and it still didn't work. Um, and then, then perhaps we know that that is much better for the family um, than when they felt nobody helped us, nobody helped us. We had to wait until, you know, she broke her hip and is in the hospital and we can't have her back. That's all ghastly situations there. Well, we have a situation here where we've introduced the injury. It's mm. because we've introduced my age care. Yeah. So introduced two systems, and they're, they're quite interesting because they're yeah. both they're both consumer direct yeah. care models. But the aged care system, you to get into the system, yeah. you have to like you go onto a waiting list to get a package. Mm. Whereas NDIS, you don't have that. So at the moment, it's a two-year waiting yeah. list for an older person. So what signing we, up. So what we're actually <laughs> seeing is that older people. services being set up, mm. the government is quarantining the number of people who can get the packages. Mm. So as a result, because of these waiting lists, that people are being forced into aged care facilities So mm. because you can't get that care at home. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, and there's no providers of last resort. Mm. Um, so it's quite interesting. There's a very different thing happening in the aged care yeah. system and that's why it's still quite curious for us in the UK is about how you have that age difference service because the age lobby in the UK would, would certainly well, find that really, I find it really curious. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it's a, there's a really interesting case in terms of ageism yeah, yeah. of why we say it's 65 you're eligible for my age care mm. but not yeah. well yeah. NDIS. So there's, yeah. there's sort of this move to particularly get older people with disabilities onto the NDIS. Mm. So those perverse incentives will, um, and I think it will be a good test of your age, your age lobbies really, because if they can find some, you know, this is, you know, inherent discrimination, mm -hmm. this is ages. Why do we have a separate system? Why do you have a separate system? Why are we having yeah. a separate system yeah. for aged yeah. care? So we, you don't have that now in England. You, I think you'd notice if you went there that the, even in the NHS there aren't old people's wards and there aren't older this. It's very, it's very yeah. sort of. Um, you mentioned increased longevity mm. for you know, young people that mm. yeah. yeah, birth injuries, yes. Yeah. Mm. So what happens when the families run out, when or they're no longer able yeah. to mm. care for this loved yes. one? And mm. the expectation has been that they probably weren't going to live much past well, 20, but they're now 45. Yeah, um, so part of that is, um, um, would be part of that support planning, not only in what's going to happen next week, but you know, now is the chance before everything goes, whatever, to say how shall we move, um, what, what, what are we planning for the future. So we are aided now by things um, that are, are called advanced care planning, which are often more nursery tools, um, but uh, you know, seem quite well, and trying to get people to think a bit ahead. 
personal budgets have given people that flexibility in terms of saying, well, you know, you can carry on with your people and maybe that if they move into um, supported housing, the same care team can go with them instead of complete breaks. Um, and we will work in that the months before they go, before they leave, we'll work about, you know, greater independence, mum not being around so much type of thing. So you can see how it lends itself to this, this, this movement. And I think generally people would say um, that, would, that would be ideal. The different difficulty is, get, you know, getting the housing. But again, people can do that. Britain is very much a nation of owner-occupiers and people want to make those legal arrangements about leaving their money in trust for people. Um, and so it's, it lend, I think it works well. It's like um, lending, it's, it's sort of playing the same tune, isn't it, of um, we'll, we'll do this with, with that. But um, that is, I suppose, our big group. We've talked in, in the UK about, you know, there are so many old people, which there are, but what we know is that there are the, half of our expenditure in this sort of area is on younger disabled people, and we need to get it right. Yeah. But they don't need to, yes. And so I suppose the, the use of the money then is to adapt ordinary housing and to, to, do, to do that and to ensure that, um, you know, leaning on the local authorities with their planning permissions to make sure that every house is disabled and, you know, you don't have to fiddle much to make something wheelchair accessible or those, those sort of things now. Social housing people, um, uh, you know, have also done quite a lot of work in there. That this is what the market they would quite like to have have as well. It's good, good for fundraising, good for your social values to say we are housing new people. Um, yeah. So, um, so not as, and I think probably you've got more people, strangely enough, in uh, younger people in institutions in Australia than pro rata in England now. Yes. We have um, possibly, I think, 5,000 left, which for a big country is um, you know, amazing difference. And that's been the, the very, the very hard group, people with some quite a lot of intellectual impairment, plus a lot of health needs, and often forensic histories. And it's the forensic history. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. yes Do you know what I mean by a forensic yes. history? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah good. I was just checking. But that is hard to, hard to do. Yes. Somebody with you know, a nice little record of arson, yes. um, quite a lot of self and other harm, is not the ideal person for any, anything. And, and those are, are groups where it, there are very special projects trying to do what you're doing here about yeah, yeah, rehab. Exactly. Yeah. So we call it transforming it's care. Moving, yeah. 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 I think um, this raises it raises really interesting questions from um, social education. Mm. I think in terms of the evolution of care mm. um, that um, you know how we think about our education and what is needed for social mm. workers of in this brave new world, because as you sort of say, um, you know, there's um, particularly around sort of the management of a lot of this stuff, there's business acumen that's needed um, of how to work things out. You know, we don't think that way. We're still actually railing against neoliberalism. Um, and Having therapeutic encounters. Yes. Yeah, but, but we, you know, we, yeah. we're still railing against the, yeah. like, we're, we're yeah. railing against actually prepare students yeah. for the world that they're going out into yeah. and particularly if we come from a sort of as we do here in, at Sydney University where we, we espouse a sort of a, a critical perspective yeah. um, and we 
in, in a way that is it's realistic for what they're going out into, um, whilst holding firm to you know our pursuit of of, of social justice. Well, you, you, it, it is very challenging, so isn't it, to do I the social justice if you're saying, and your job is to stop this guy having 24-hour care, you know. Um, and so we have to prepare them for the real world. We also have to prepare them for <coughs> placement. I suppose one of the things that in the UK we do is we have a lot of service user engagement in the programmes, and a lot of those people have personal budgets. And, are, you know, there's no, but you know, they can read a textbook about it, but if somebody comes in with their wheelchair, with their personal assistant, um, you yeah. know, who, who only a matter of a decade or so would have been in a long-stay ward or something yeah. and is speaking with some uh, assistive technology yeah. um, and is telling you how they, how they work their budget and what sort of monitoring happens and, um, you know, how they, you know, those, those are very powerful things. So you can do the textbooky stuff and things, but you also have that modelling, I suppose, going on. And, you, and the best thing is, though, if we're, we're not familiar with it, is to have practitioners coming in and say, this is what my day looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose my thing is, yeah. is can, we, can we actually, in terms of critiquing, we can critique neoliberalism, mm. but can we rail against it? The reality is. Well, well I know, you know, in it here. And I don't know whether it was oh. in America, and it's in my life, but I knew Pastor certainly I reckon if half of, over half of the students were already working as carers, yeah. someone. So um, and they had medianas, mm -hmm. and um, this mm -hmm. was very much like. So they, mm -hmm. they were all working. That, that was their daily. They were actually in those roles. All the other the other groups were working because they had no care. So like, hundred percent of students had knew everything. They were already <laughs> in that. They were already working in that area while they were staying mm -hmm. in touch with. So those, yeah, it's that interface between the reality. Yeah, this is what I'm doing every day with this person who I care for. You know, I've always been. So maybe it's less about that and it's more about them very much equipping them for, for law because the law is going to be important here about, well, actually, my right is this and I'm making claims on that. So the law bit of social work, I think, really has to stay quite central. And I think we have to do a bit more economics and we have to do some sums and not for people to go, oh, I don't do sums. And I've sat with social workers, given them an article to read, and I've said, so what does the table say? And they say, oh, I can't read tables. You have to read tables, otherwise you can't be a professional that's nowadays. Because everyone uses this stand, Well, no, you just stand there in the... But stand there in the... It's not about business. It's standing there in the multidisciplinary team meeting and saying, I don't do tables. Well... Taking the market, yeah. and it's sort of but, but yeah. it's how do you actually hold your ethics? How do you hold? Well, I think you have, to, you have to. You have to question your own. But you have to question your own stance, don't you? But also, you have to listen to the person who's come in in that wheelchair and has sure. told you that That's actually rose-coloured spectacle ideas of the past were totally yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. this is what it felt like, and this is how empowered yeah. he is, and. Yeah. Him, I know, and that's that. I think is is really very important on the courses. Is is getting those, getting people, in, encouraging people in to be part of that, um, and also getting people to, um, in to do less, um, uh, to do more practical based assessments, which I think in the UK we've changed to. So we don't do write an essay about um, anymore. It's more sort of, here is a letter from 
uh, an irate relative make a reply, <laughs> telling them why you why you don't think blah 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 blah. You know, much more practical based, much more sort of, uh, and also fantastic for avoiding plagiarism. <laughs> you know, when he read an essay, he said, oh, I'm sure I've read that before. So, you know, but if you've given somebody, you know, a letter, they have to make it, they have to make a, you know, a really stinking letter from a relative um, or, or, or a doctor or a or whatever going, you know, and another thing, and, you know, and I've just read it on the internet, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, it's, it's that we can be more creative in, in our things. We can do the modelling, we can do um, all these sort of things, and it makes it more fun course, I think, rather than yeah. teaching people to be unemployable, which is what you do when they come into practice and say, oh, forget all that book learning, because, you know, people, that's what people say. Yeah, you can yeah, do it much better. And you can say to people, so our model is, let's pretend there's a, a, um, a universal basic income. What effect would that have on this scheme? You know, um, all those sort of things. That's you know, really thinking about your justice elements of it, um, but actually applying it, I think, into the real the real world. So how would a universal basic income affect care work if everybody had a, a, a national income where they didn't have to work? Mm. Or what would be the, imp what ways could somebody's life with the people you're working on be improved by robotics? Yeah. Look in the paper, see what robots are doing, what can, what can they do? And how long do you think it will take to get there? I mean, you know, five minutes meditation. What are we doing doing five minute meditation calls with people when we can, you know, we can, we can probably send a man to the, a man or woman to the moon? <laughs> Should we have to do robotics that will do a lot or, around meditation? Yeah, or from a social work perspective, yeah. and I suppose, you know, particularly looking at sort of relational yeah. social work, because, yeah. um, you know, mm. it's like right. part of, you know, in another life. proportionality isn't it because some people you know you know for some people that is absolutely the thing they're not going to eat unless you've been there and you know told them what you know they haven't eaten the food and whatever and for some people they don't need that anymore yeah, you know? and I think it's really about it's less it's more we now are probably going to spread the jam less thinly and do and there's going to be lumps and you know the number of people who sit there and say oh I'm waiting for so and so to come and so you don't need, you, know, you could do that if, we, if you had a, a thing that said you haven't taken your Monday pill, you know, take the Monday pill and shouted it from the television <laughs> and your daughter's daughter sat there as a hologram going, take your bloody pill. And when you've taken it, and when you've taken it, the pill has now got an electronic 
nano whatever which says that you have put, put that pill in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Sets the alarm off or something like that. But, you know, that's what we'll all want, isn't it? We won't want people going around saying, oh, I'm here to give you your pill. You know, we won't want people to say, oh, you know, I'm here to take you out. I'm here to do whatever. But a lot of the going in to give the pill is actually surveillance. Well, that's, that's another matter. Because the surveillance is things that we used to do about, um, you know, um, we used to go turn people's gas off or something, but now gas turns itself off. The biggest thing that happened in um, older people's care was the invention of the electric kettle, which turned itself off. Yeah. And there used to be a test. What about toasters? Toasters, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there used to be a test about where you're ready to go into an old people's home and how many kettles have you burnt out? Three. Out. Off. Off. <laughs> have you ever met Browns, anybody's, you know, yeah, burnt a kettle out now? Of course, people do put kettles on the wrong hobs and things like that, and I can hardly work some of these hobs now, which you know, require. So there, and I have a very nice, I have a good friend called Mary Marshall who does a loo test, um, in which she's taking photos nowadays of complicated toilets, in which you don't know what it means on the door. You, know, you see a sign, and you think, that one, or whatever. And then you go in, you don't know how to what, how to turn on the water. But here, here you're going. You know, you're going. Oh, where, where, where is the soap? No idea. Um, and, that, and she says that's cognitively disabling. That it's not just people with gross dementia. It's all of us. I've been to touching things, to water, you're stamping off things on the floor, and that's been that's been you know technology is being stupid. But um, um, and we'll have to you know all sorts of things about that. So next time you might go around, take a photo. She goes around, she takes photos of these loos. <laughs> so how would you take a turn on the tap? <laughs> <laughs> um, what, just, just one thing that we'll we yeah. yeah. leave with this, but uh, just one of the things that we saw with India too was uh, people setting themselves up as pre-planners for people yeah. getting their plans. <laughs> So you've taken a, some unusual routes, which yes. are there. Yeah, there's, there's also that now you could almost be a broker for aged care, so that yes. you people know how to navigate. Yeah. There are brokers. Personal shopper. Yeah. Yeah. A personal yeah. shopper, yeah. yes. yes. And that, I suppose, is what people do who get to lump sum compensation, isn't it? Um, and particularly, it must be the same here, if you're in a road, a road traffic accident, uh, you've got head injuries, you'll get, you'll get a lump sum, but you'll also get a, a person to manage the money. Um, which is very, and I know somebody who does that, and it's a very enjoyable professional job, but it, you know, of course people who've got road traffic accidents, you know, want to spend the money on this, and then the, the people circle around them knowing that yeah, they've got the money, um, and so it's a, but it's a, a quite a worthwhile job, and, um, and they don't go luxurious spending, but they have a very good idea about where the, the money's got to last. Oh, yeah, and taking huge advantage of them, so... Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.